episode 51, Faith, Money, and Prosperity, the Truth About Prosperity Gospel. Hey, everybody. This is Deborah and Wendy. Hello. You are listening to Grace in Real Life, the podcast for Christian women who desire to live out their faith in real life. This week, we are talking about prosperity gospel. Mm. Who does it? What is it? And wait, what does God actually promise us? No. No, we're getting a little spicy here because people hear prosperity gospel uh, half the time. They don't even realize they're in the middle of prosperity gospel. Yeah, because I don't think that we understand. I don't I don't know why we get caught up in things. I think we get caught up in things because it sounds good. Yeah. And easy. And oh, easy button for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. The Staples easy button is literally what comes to mind when people, when we do this. Absolutely. And I also think we like guaranteed outcomes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so if we have this button that we can push that gets an outcome, then we're going to. Yes. And as, and it just made me think of back when we did the episode about law of attraction. Ooh. It's basically what draws Christians into this law of attraction, this idea that God is the universe and some kind of cosmic genie, where if you just ask the right way and say the right things, you'll get what you want. And the, I think the faith twist on this is if you have enough faith. So mm-hmm. in trying to keep it, trying to keep that um, your law of attraction biblical, we just twist it and we're like faith. Right. We just have enough faith. This will happen. So I, if I, and the reality is, you know, law of attraction is if you have enough faith in yourself, mm-hmm. it'll work. So if you have enough faith in God, this will work. Right. But that's it not really what the Bible says. No. In fact, what is the definition of prosperity and abundance? Well, prosperity is a noun, mm-hmm. and it is meaning a successful, flourishing, or thriving condition, especially in financial respects, also known as good fortune. Mm. And we have to contrast that, of course, with the word abundance, because they are not always the same thing. Um, but abundance is an ample quantity, an abundant mm-hmm. amount, profusion, Um like a city has an abundance of fine restaurants. It can also mean affluence, wealth, or the sentence, a life of abundance, which makes me giggle that that's the end definition because a life of abundance literally means nothing. Yeah. But that's a definition of nothing. I have a life of air. Mm-mm. Like it doesn't mean anything. Like this is actually funny that the definitions, they don't actually have a well-grounded Meaning, So if we're talking about abundance and we talk about it from a farm perspective, it usually means you have a ample amount of crop. You plant, you know, you plant a hundred seeds, you get 500 as a result. That is an abundant, Mm -hmm. abundant crop. You have grapevines and they produce an abundance. It means Mm -hmm. you have enough to produce all the wine you need. Like, so abundance often is, I think we look at it like, you know, like a massive, massive amounts. And I think abundance just means... Like, and the minimal abundance means you've got choices. You have enough, an, an ample amount to do something. And yeah. An abundant life is interesting though. Because mm. if you and I quantify people we see that have abundant lives, do they have prosperity too? Mm. 
And I would argue that answer is no. Not always. I think they can come hand in hand, but I actually also truly believe they absolutely don't have to go hand in hand. Now, let's look at, can we look at Facebook a little bit and be like, who do we see on Facebook that we feel lives abundantly? What are the things that they're doing? Mm, the one showing us the trips everywhere. Um, I took my whole family to Disney World, which you guys, I live in Florida, so that's not exactly a cheap thing to do. Uh, you know, took the whole family to Disney World. It was cheaper for us to uh, charter a private plane than buy commercial tickets. Uh, we all just went on a cruise. Y'all, every, all these people are broke deep down inside. <laughs> They're broke. <laughs> I'm actually going to laugh because I was sitting this morning, I'd finished all my, all my morning chores and I was eating my breakfast a little late because I got a, a little, I got a half an hour extra sleep and I did everything, but I'm a little late this morning and I was scrolling Facebook and I was watching reels and I thought this was the funniest thing. The reel I stumbled on was from a realtor and mm-hmm. he said, the question was, what do the wealthiest clients drive? Hmm. I was hooked by just the title. I'm going to be honest. I was curious because when we think, when we think people are wealthy, we think, I don't know, like high end, very expensive cars. Um, I don't know. Like you see those videos, you know, like I I don't, I think, see, I think it's because I've been in the personal finance space for so long that I know that people who are truly wealthy aren't doing the most with their, with their money. But they do those, the, there's another guy on, I think he's on TikTok. I can't remember his, his little TikTok handle, but he does like this things. He walks up to people in very expensive cars, very expensive cars, like mm-hmm. ones that I will never sit in, not because I don't have money, but because I think that they're a waste of money. Um, <laughs> like I could be wealthy. I'm gonna be honest. I'm not sitting in one. Like, but there are things like, you know, high-end Maseratis, um, Audis, BMWs, et cetera, like fancy looking cars. And it's like, yeah. okay, what do you do for a living? I would argue that 90% of those people are like, my dad is very wealthy. Oh, is that um, Noah, that Noah guy? I, maybe. And it's, he basically is like, he just asks everyone that's in a very nice car, what they do for work. Now, some people, for, some yeah. people do awesome things, but I would argue that a good chunk of those kit people that I see, it's not them. It's their parents. Yeah. They've yeah, done the hard work and they're reaping the benefit. It? When you have to work for it, it makes you spend it a little differently. Well, that going back to that realtor is a guy out of Arizona. And he was like, so we have all these people driving Land Rovers and Mercedes and Audi and BMW. And he's like, but I see them trying to buy a house. He's like, their debt to income ratio is awful. Mm-hmm. They're like all the, he like basically listed all these terrible things. And he's like, but they drive like the fanciest cars because everyone's a millionaire in Arizona, especially Phoenix. And he's like, but. Then the question was, well, what do the, what do your millionaires, the people who actually have money actually drive? And he was like, Toyota and Honda. Yeah. I was like, look at me driving my, driving my used Honda. Well, not only that, but love them or hate them. Look at Mark Zuckerberg. What does the dude wear? Like nothing. A t-shirt and jeans every freaking day. Yeah. He doesn't care. Dude's worth more than God. Okay, not really, but you know what I'm saying. Like, mm-hmm. he could drive. Even Jeff Bezos, even Jeff, Jeff Bezos, Bezos, like when you see him, like he's wearing like a basic blazer, yeah. oftentimes like a graphic t-shirt underneath that blazer, which fashion statement in itself, mm-hmm. and a pair of like, I call them dark oh. blue jeans. 
I got an even better example. Last okay. year, we are so going to be off topic, but we will get back to this. I promise. Wait, wait, so it, this has a point. Alex Hormozzi. I don't know if you've heard of him, but I he is—he's worth like a hundred million dollars. He and his okay. wife, uh, Layla. And so I watched Alex Hormozzi speak at a conference last year. It was the first time he had ever given the talk he had given, and he was in sneakers, shorts forgive the term, a wife beater and a flannel shirt with a baseball cap and his beard. Dude looked like he just rolled out of bed, seriously. But he's worth $100 million. So it's... I have a question for you. Do you think men get more of a pass for not dressing nicely than women do? Oh, they absolutely do. Because I watch men give presentations and this happened when I watched Global Leadership Summit who was dressed more casually and who was dressed more formally. So the men could get away with sneakers, jeans, and a, 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 a blank t-shirt. Whereas every woman who spoke had a blazer or a dress on, she was wearing heels, um, full makeup, things like that. But let me just tell you guys, if you ask me to come to speak, I'm probably going to be wearing sneakers and a pair of jeans. I'll probably put the blazer on, but (laughs) there's going to be sneakers and some jeans up in there. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm probably going to be in some Birkenstocks because that's how I roll. Yeah. I value my feet over shoes. But But that's that's an example of how people want to appear wealthy and prosperous, even though they're not. Hey, if you're looking for a dynamic speaker for your next event, we're here to help. With our unique backgrounds, we can deliver informative and entertaining presentations on wellness, podcasting, faith, and more. To book us, email hello at graceinreallife.com. Okay, now back to the show. So let's talk about, before we talk about what's wrong with prosperity gospel, let's actually tell you what the prosperity gospel is. Yeah, because I actually needed this definition because I have heard about it, Um. I think I've seen some of it in action with definitely some specific preachers. But to be honest, when people flippantly go, oh, prosperity gospel, and just kind of, they sort of just say it and bounce. They don't actually, like, what exactly does this mean? And I needed to understand it. And I actually am grateful that we have this definition. So go ahead and give that to us. Yeah. So we've got two definitions. This first one is from the Gospel Coalition, and it says, the prosperity gospel also known as the health and wealth gospel, or by most popular brand, the word of faith movement, is a perversion of the gospel of Jesus that claims that God rewards increases in faith with increases in health and or wealth. And we will link the whole article um, over on Grace in Real Life so that you can read everything the Gospel Coalition and Harvard Divinity School says about prosperity gospel. But this is what Harvard Divinity School says. The prosperity gospel is a fast-growing, theologically conservative movement frequently associated with Pentecostalism, evangelicism, and charismatic Christianity that emphasizes believers' abilities to transcend poverty and or illness through devotion and positive confession. So those are, they basically say the same thing, but those are two different definitions for you from the Gospel Coalition and from Harvard Divinity School as to the nature of prosperity gospel. And if you take it to its logical conclusion, you would know 
that or come to understand that prosperity gospel is popular among impoverished communities where at best, I'm reading this from Harvard Divinity School, where at best it is considered to offer the poor a means of imagining and reaching for better lives, at times accompanied by sound financial advice, and at worst is criticized as predatory and manipulative, particularly when churches or pastors require heavy tithing. Mm -hmm. Members of the socioeconomic elite may also be drawn to prosperity gospel messages which affirm the religious and spiritual legitimacy of wealth accumulation and reinforce a worldview in which financial success is an indicator of moral soundness. I feel like this is an extension of like the early eight, like mid 1800s manifest destiny. Yeah, it probably is because the word of faith movement does have, um, does have a long history, even though when we talk about it in the 20th century, they gospel coalition only goes back as far as Oral Roberts. But okay. if you look up some other um, articles on prosperity gospel, you read some books on prosperity gospel, word of faith movement, especially it, it, it goes back a long time. Well, I mean, I, I like I said, I, I really do feel like it goes back. I'm sure it goes actually probably back farther than, mm -hmm. you know, the manifest destiny in America. But I think some of the roots that we see here specifically in America. Now, I will say this, guys, one of the things that I learned as I was studying about prosperity gospel, it is not limited to the United States. No. Not limited to the United States. I'm actually a little surprised. And it doesn't actually all originate here either. I do think that the manifest destiny, and just guys, so real quick, if you guys are not history buffs like Wendy and I are, uh, manifest destiny, mid-1800s, westward expansion and there was a belief that god had ordained and destined that americans would expand across the west and um that you know it, they would inevitably expand westward all the way to the pacific ocean taking hold um of the land itself um and that's kind of like the basis of it but it was a god ordained expansion um and so there's a little bit of wealth that comes when you have land, right? Mm -hmm. So like that, when I say that we are connected into this manifest destiny, and this is a little bit of the root of some of it, um, you know, we know from history that the landowners, so landowners themselves, they had money. And and people who own land, they have say in what they're in their, in their own lives. So this is kind of just to cap that out and put a little bit of explanation to why I use that phrase. Right. I didn't want to no. do, like just gloss over it and everyone be, be like, what, that's, what does that mean? We wanted you guys to understand what it, what it is, like how it's defined. So now we can tell you what's wrong with it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, now that you know what it is. Yes. So the reality is when we say prosperity gospel and we use those definitions and they do have a little bit of a negative connotation because you can hear some of this, um, and here comes some of the negative connotation that comes out in the definition itself. But you, the root of this is that if you have enough faith, then you have health and you have wealth and untold of both. Um, but Wendy and I are going to answer the question of, does God actually promise his believers any of that? Anything? Mm. I don't, and I, I know for a fact the answer is no. Um, 
but we can talk a little bit about some of the rise of those prosperity gospel preachers. I'm going to give you a couple of them just because I thought it was interesting. Uh, the one I knew out of all of them was Benny Hinn. Him, Wendy? Yeah. So you guys probably remember Benny Hinn or at least the 700 channel <laughs> from old TV. Um, and those were all like prosperity gospel bases, like foundations of like what it looks like today. Cause Benny Hinn is obviously old. So I'm dating myself y'all. Um, and I wasn't watching them. I was a little kid. This is my parents talking about like, we're not giving that man any money on the TV. He is not good. And he doesn't do anything with it. Yeah. Um, so he's the one I grew up hearing about like be avoiding him. What I didn't realize is it had been, per- I just kind of assumed it was like the dude on the TV who found the niche. What I didn't realize is that it had a stronghold and that we see people like Creflo Dollar, Joel Osteen, and out of Africa, Enoch, Enoch Attaboy. Um, and you may know all of these. You may not know any of them. It actually doesn't matter whether you know these particular people or not. Um, the root of what we're going to talk about today is going to help you determine when you're hearing it. Mm-hmm. Um, because it doesn't really matter who's saying it because the roots and the seeds of deceit, they show up in all of us. Sometimes we're really wrong. Each of us. It's one of the reasons why Wendy and I talk about this, because guess what? I'm sometimes wrong. I've definitely written things. And Wendy is like, nope, you need to go back and research that more. <laughs> and We've had this conversation. Why? Because sometimes we have thoughts in our head and the way they come out, they're deceitful. Mm-hmm. And let's be real since Adam and Eve, the devil has been twisting the word to get yeah. us to believe something that's not true. Because if he can get us to believe something and follow the thread of untruth, he leads us away from the truth. And he actually, he takes us from into a place we don't want to go. And so that said, let's have a chat. Let's have a chat here. Why is prosperity gospel incorrect? Mm. And my so first point so many reasons. So many reasons. But my first point, and it's probably a broad sleeping point that's going to encompass all of Wendy's thoughts, is that it contradicts verses in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Flat out juxtaposition of the verses in the Bible. And the one that Wendy's actually used a ton recently, and that's why I selected it, because I think it's a good wraparound. Um, in John, Jesus says in John 16, 33, in the world, you will have tribulation. If you can have tribulation, you cannot be guaranteed wealth and health. Right. So if you're guaranteed tribulation, they're not equal. But Deborah, people will just go back a couple of chapters to John 10, 10, where Jesus said, the thief comes only to kill, steal and destroy. But I've come that you may have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly, depending on what translation you're reading. It's true. But what does God mean by that abundance? Well, it also depends on what version you're reading, because the NIV says, have it to the full. New Living Translation translation says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So what he's really talking about is the juxtaposition between what he's offering as Savior and then what the enemy promises, which is nothing but destruction and death. But he doesn't promise that you will have everything that you want when you want it and have it in abundance. He he has said multiple times in the Gospels that you will have what you need. God will take care of you and you will be able in through that 
you will be able to take care of other people. It's true. It's true. And I also really like the idea here. We're going to be able to take care of other people. We will have what we need. And I think our definition of need in the past 35, 40 years Mm -hmm. has been very skewed. Yeah. If you talk to people today, they would say they need a TV. (laughs) They need a phone. They need, like I hear even, even in my kids, like we, we talk about this all the time with our, with our children, like, well, I need this. And I'm like, do you though? Do you want it or do you need it? Right. Like, do you need to feed your family? That's a need. Mm -hmm. Do you need to have a new third TV? That's not a need. In fact, you don't even need one TV. You can very much read a book, create things. Mm Mm-hmm. God calls us to be doers of the word, not consumers, right? He doesn't say be a perpetual consumer. And so a lot of this prosperity gospel is interesting because it predicates happiness and success on health and wealth. But here's the thing. When you talk to the wealthiest people, especially ones we see in the news, they are not the happiest people. And I would argue that they don't live an abundant life. Yeah. In fact, I was in a mission trip. I know I talked about this before in the Dominican Republic. And my parents asked me what I thought when I came home. And I remember telling them, and I still remember clear to a day, the same perspective. They are the happiest people Mm -hmm. I've ever met. And they are truly excited to be serving and loving each other and providing for each other. I went over to dinner at the pastor's house. We were building a church. That's what we went to do. And um, he had us over, a couple of us over for dinner. And it was like the best evening. It was like growing up in my house. We sat around, we talked and we told stories and we had, we had so much fun because I ate chicken foot pie that night. Yeah. Um, I did not eat the chicken feet. I don't know how to eat a chicken foot still to this day, but they were in there and I ate around that thing. Uh, <laughs> And I process chickens, like the feet are not what I want to consume, but they were very, they were so excited that they had the means and capability to love on us the way they did. And I will never forget that. They Mm. were so abundantly fulfilled. They were not unhappy. They, the amount of people coming together to love on each other and do the things that they did, like that's abundance. Like, so when, I think it's interesting, your definition earlier, when you see people on Facebook about abundant lives went into like people who spend a lot of money. But the interesting thing for me is that's not who, that's not what I perceive as abundant when I'm on Facebook. I Mm -hmm. see the people that are out there hiking with their family or they're sitting around a table doing board games. And for me, that's abundance because there's like a level of joy that's being derived from being around like-minded people Mm -hmm. doing like-minded things. So for me, it's doing that like-minded stuff. Now, there's nothing wrong with travel. There's nothing wrong with any of those other things. Um, it, again, it's a hard issue. But for me, abundance is not that opulence. Like I look at it and I go, eh. Like, I don't know. It just it doesn't. I'd rather have I'd rather have a good person that goes hiking with me. I'm gonna be honest. Yeah. Spend some quality time with me and is happy. Like, because you know, there's never enough money. This is what I've learned from people. There's never enough money. Mm-hmm. And somehow or another, your budget expands to the never enough money. And then your lifestyle creep. Yeah, lifestyle creep. You know, it's so funny. We were actually talking about this the other day. Um, my husband and I. 
Now, some of the lifestyle creep is legit because we have three children, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we were talking about, you know, how much money we made when he was brand new in the military. Y'all, it was not a lot. Um, and we had a baby and we lived on that and we lived okay. We were mm-hmm. happy. We did things. We didn't, you know, it was tight, but it wasn't horrifying. You know, we weren't worrying about food tomorrow. Um, and then we, we giggle a little bit because our lifestyle has expanded mm-hmm. with the increased time and paycheck. Now, not all the way, but I've definitely seen it in people where they've expanded their lifestyle all the way to the, in, the ends of their paycheck. Yeah. And they're like, well, now what? It's really hard to back off. Yeah. Yeah, really it is. It's off. just like if you get a new house and it's bigger than your previous house, all of a sudden your belongings expand to fill the new house. And you're like, how did I get all this stuff? Well, you had space and you felt the need to fill it. All right. I'm laughing really hard at that because we had a house. It was big. It ended up like it was, we bought it like 10 or 12 years ago, 13, mm-hmm. 14, 15 years ago. We bought a long time ago. And it was big for us. And my husband kept going, this room is really empty. We should put more stuff in it. So I just rearranged the furniture in it to look like it was more full. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you just made this more crowded. And I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not. And my answer guys is I'm not dusting more furniture. Right. I know that sounds crazy, but that's my rationale. when We talk about stuff. And he was like, well, I kind of, I kind of wanted it to feel like a more full room. And I was like, it feels more full. I just mm-hmm. squished it in a little tighter. So it looked and felt more full. I refused to do anything because I didn't want to dust. Sorry, that was a total aside, but I just remember that room and it was, it really was empty. You guys, it was so bad. I can still see it. Like I had room to do all kinds of stuff and I did all kinds of like, you know, exercise and things in it. Cause it was empty. And I just sort of like rearing, I'm like, look, all the walls are taken up. Mm-hmm. All right. Moving back into this. All right. I will say also here. So we can see um, that we are not promised material gain for faith. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just had more faith, there's a perception. If you had more faith that you would experience less challenges again, wrong. And <laughs> Paul's words to Timothy are this, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Mm. That's a strong statement, you guys. You will experience trials, you will experience persecution. Um, And then we even see this, and I do love Peter, he's quite spicy. Um, He says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were to happen to you. First mm-hmm. Peter 1, 12, just so you know. I love that. He didn't say if. Right. He didn't say, I've got all the faith in the world, so I'm experiencing all this great joy. He said, mm-hmm. it's coming. Are you yeah. ready? Yeah. And James is the same way. From the beginning, from the jump, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Not if, but when. Yeah, 100%. So if they are saying when it happens, that's a lot of, that's a lot of soft vowels there. That's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of funky words. But since, he, since all of these individuals are saying when your trials come, and these are men that I would argue had some of the strongest faith, Mm -hmm. then how 
Is it even possible to say with more faith, you're guaranteed health and wealth? It's, it's not actually possible. Yeah. Go back and read the book of Job. It's true. I very much love Job. I love his attitude so much. Um, so again, these types of preachers are actually preaching in opposition of what the Bible really says. So it means that they're cherry picking verses and, you know, deciding that they can have outcomes for something that they've perceived. Mm-hmm. I don't actually understand where this comes from, from their, from their point of view. Because sometimes I'm like, did you, did you read your Bible? <laughs> I mean, I know you're a preacher, but did you read the thing? Um <laughs> And this, guys, is an important reason for making sure that you vet your teachers. Um, every single one of your teachers, you should be checking to make sure that they're teaching what they're supposed to be teaching. Now, guys, I also want to caution. Just because they've made mistakes and they've said they've made mistakes, we don't have to throw the, the baby out with the bathwater. Right. Like every human is going to make a mistake. You're probably going to find a mistake in something that Wendy and I have done. Because here's the thing, we're learning and sharing what we learn and you're learning. And as we begin to grow, we're going to realize we've made mistakes. Mm -hmm. The people you should not be listening to are the ones that don't see that they're still wrong. Mm -hmm. Like it's one thing to make a mistake. It's one thing to come back and be like, you know what? I was really, really wrong. It's another thing to be digging down into this and saying, this is how it is. All you have to do is follow me. Because that's what they're really actually saying in all of this. I don't know if you guys have caught that have caught that sort of mentality. Like they're actually saying, follow me. They're not saying follow Jesus. They're saying, follow me. Jesus teaches this. Follow me. We don't follow men. Humans, I should rephrase. We don't follow humans. I don't care. That could be a woman too. We don't follow humans. Humans are fallible. It means we make mistakes and it means we're wrong in many, many things. Mm-hmm. And because we're wrong in those things, we cannot follow humans. We are going to disappoint you. That actually goes even for spousal relationships. And I've been guilty of this myself, like looking to my husband to make decisions, do stuff. And then I get disappointed. Mm-hmm. Well, that's my own fault. I should have weighed in. I'm a, I'm a equal partner in this marriage. Like my disappointment comes from my inaction and from looking to my husband to solve my problems. He doesn't right. solve my problems. Jesus solves my problems. We come together to help hunt for solutions through Jesus. Thank you for joining us for part one of our discussion on prosperity gospel. Tune in to the next episode for the conclusion. Be sure to take a screenshot of you listening to the show and tag us on Instagram at Grace in Real Life Media. Until next time. Bye.